We all want to feel like we belong, but sometimes it's challenging to find connection in our living spaces, neighborhoods, communities, and relationships. On Home Where You Belong, we're here to change that. Hear stories of people from different backgrounds and from different places and how they've been able to feel more at home to help give you a renewed sense of connection, belonging, and optimism. Welcome to Home Where You Belong with your host, Chip Alford. In 2014, chemical engineer Matt Pizan and his wife Anna began renovating properties as a side hustle. After almost a decade of hard work, Matt quit his corporate job and now buys and repositions properties full-time in the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. Today, the owner and CEO of Pizan Properties owns an ever-growing number of units without any investors or partners. He joins us today to explain how he turned a side hustle into a main hustle and achieved financial freedom in the process. Well, Matt, welcome to Home Where You Belong. I really am glad to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Chip. First off, I just have to ask, how did a Fulbright scholar and a chemical engineer get interested in real estate? Well, that's a, that's a really great introductory question. So I am from the fourth generation of engineers in my family, going back to my great-grandfather. And so growing up, I, I wanted to be in engineering. I'd always been good at math and science. And um, the, the first job that I had out of college after graduating chemical engineering school, um, that was in 2010, depths of the Great uh, Recession. And uh, I had 50, 50 grand of debt. And uh, um, I was positioned in like an IT type role. There were no processes, no procedures. I was building servers for like remote locations. And it wasn't anything that I studied or was prepared for. And my boss told me that I was the worst employee oh, I ever had and the company should fire me. Wow. And so I was scared. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have all this debt. How am I going to pay this? So I immediately started thinking about how can I find another, another way? I mean, I like this engineering thing, but I don't, you know, I realized that there's a lot of uncertainty in the job market. And when I went back to do my Fulbright scholarship and do my MBA, that's when I discovered debt financing, uh, property business ownership. And it just, it, it just was like a light switch going on for me. And then through that process, I found real estate investing it wasn't what I was expecting to find, but I knew I had to do something else after that first employment experience, uh, my job right out of college. It's funny how they, life takes unexpected turns. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. that sounds like this was a good turn for you eventually. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, once you kind of got into that, what kind of techniques did you use to kind of grow the business or how did you get started? Yeah. So great. Uh, another good question. So, um, I started by basically double hatting and side hustling for 13 years. You know, I didn't, uh, um, I started from a place of negative equity. I, I had less than nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, uh, I needed my job to, you know, pay the bills and, and do other things. Um, and uh, I just slowly, um, I chipped away at it over, over the years and, um, I, I it started one house at a time, you know, my first single family investment property and uh, while working full time and then doing the next one. And I did an FHA loan and uh, then I tried my first rehab loan. And that that's a whole story in and of itself. And just slowly, you know, it, it was uh, an overnight transformation, 13 years in the making. I like 13 to say years in the making yeah. one house at a time and one deal at a time. And uh, <laughs> while working a full time job. 
So I, I was, uh, I did not just jump right into this thing. I, I slowly dipped my toe and then my foot and, and slowly got into it. So. And you got all the way in the pool eventually. And you've got a family. How far down that uh, journey did you become married and start having kids? Because that, that's a busy life. Right. Yeah. So that's a great question. So my uh, um, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, that was back in 2014. So we've been together for almost 10 years now. Um, but uh, she was involved from the very beginning. And I, I remember the first uh, the first opportunity. She knew that I had been looking into real estate and that I had been um, studying it, going out with other investors to learn and, and see at the time foreclosures. You can't find them anymore. But uh, I remember coming home and I said, I got this deal. I got this deal. And she was, she was like, wait, what, what type of deal are you doing? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking <laughs> like, about? <laughs> what is this deal? Like what? So, um, so she's been there from the very beginning. Um, and we really, um, we were dis- we were very disciplined in the, in the beginning to really get our financial um, house in order. Um, even before buying a house for, for ourselves, um, we got married in 2019 and now we have three kids under three. So, wow. um, we, we kind of front loaded, um, on the business side, I'm 36. Um, but, uh, yeah, we front loaded on business and, and working really doing that, getting that foundation firm. And, uh, now we have our family. So, wow. That's awesome. Well, congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, our twins me... are only like six weeks old. So, oh, you have twins too, man. Oh my gosh. Twins, you have, yeah. You yeah. do have a busy household. Yeah. Um, yeah. And our son is like two and two months. So, you know, wow. he's, he's barely two. And then we have the twins. So, oh my he's goodness. You're, <laughs> you're a busy man. That's right. Um, That's and your wife is a busy woman. Yeah, she, um, she is. She is, <laughs> whew, man. <laughs> Let, let's go back for just a second to that first property that you bought. Do you remember that? Tell me a little bit about how did you find it and what made you decide to kind of flip the switch and go for it? Yeah, so I had been studying for about a year to understand and learn real estate and business. So that was a precursor to all, to all of this. Because remember, I, I studied engineering, so I didn't someone else paid for the stuff. I just did the, the design and everything or the, I managed the project. So I I had really been learning business. Then I went out with a group of investors every Saturday morning. Um, we, you know, we get breakfast at 7am. So I'd be up at six at the, at the diner, you know, we talk real estate and then we'd go around and see these properties. And one of them, uh, was one that I purchased and uh, it was a single family home. I think I paid $60,000 for it. It rented for nine seventy five. It needed two or three thousand dollars of work, but it was mostly turnkey. And you know, I, I had been going out with that group for probably three months before I I we found that property. So I had one under contract. It didn't work out. I had too much too, too many repairs, and um, I just slowly got educated. And and then uh, once one came up, I was scared because oh my gosh, I'm taking on this. I just got out of debt. Now I'm taking on. I just got out of 50 grand of debt. And now I'm getting a $50,000 mortgage. What if this doesn't work? All the fears and all the- um, A little scary, a little scary. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that, I just pulled the trigger and I was like, okay, well, you know, people are buying these things. It works for them. People, you know, they've been, people have been renting since there were houses. It's got to yeah. work, right? <laughs> so, so, so just to be clear then, the properties that you buy are all intended to become rental properties. You don't buy houses, flip them and resell them, or do you do a little of both? Generally not, no. Okay. I mean, I have, I think I did two this year like that just because they wouldn't work as a rental, okay. but um, the numbers did make sense and they were in key areas too. Um, so I, I did those. 
and the sellers knew that I would be flipping them as well. But generally, generally I rent everything. I don't, and I don't wholesale properties. Our value is that we can offer more because there's no middleman that needs a cut. As you think about the properties that you have, I mean, were most of, I mean, how many of them are, would you consider turnkey? Were there a lot that you had to do a lot of work on? And, and if so, would you do that work yourself or get contractors or a little bit of both? How does that work? Yeah. So um, these days, the, most of the properties need a lot of work. Um, in the beginning, they needed less work. I've just gotten more used to it over time. And I've built a network of contractors. My wife and I did the first two or three renovations together. Um, oh, I mean, and I, I had no experience and, and I'm still not great with like the renovation side of the business. But I mean, I just remember like we were, we were painting and doing some flooring and, and different things in a rental property and I didn't even know enough to get a space heater. Like, and so the paint was taking forever to dry. She was freezing <laughs> and we just plowed forward, but we could have got a space heater. Like it's just the, the most simple, um, you know, s simple things in, in certain areas of the house. And at least, you know, there'd be some heat to go into the other areas while we waited for the electrician, but you, I, I just you, knew nothing. So you learn but as these you go. Days, we do a lot of work. I bet you watched a few YouTube videos over the years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. I have <laughs> How to? Uh, just, yeah. just one or two. <laughs> Okay. So you, you're, you're working full time and, but you're doing this real estate hustle on the side. What were the best ways that you found to actually find deals or find properties? You mentioned this group that you went out with at first, did that continue yeah. for a while or how, how would you kind of add to your portfolio? Yeah. Um, so I was involved with, there was a lot more supply, um, in 2014, 15 and 16 in 2016, I had the good fortune and I didn't know where the market was going. No one did, but I started doing direct mail marketing and just sending letters directly um, to okay. people and, and only within certain blocks in Allentown. It wasn't in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It wasn't like a, a wide distribution list that like I do today. Pretty targeted. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I would just reach out to the neighbors. My, I hand wrote the first 500 letters wow. um, and I got a great response. But it, it wasn't possible to continue that way. But at the same time, I wasn't looking to buy, you know, more than a couple deals a year at that point. So, and then I, I just, when the sellers would call, you know, I set up a separate number so that I could have, uh, I, I could track, you know, from like my personal calls, from the business calls. And then I would just talk to the sellers, go see the properties and make offers. Were there days, I mean, there must've been some hectic times you're working full time and then you're doing this on the side then you're eventually you know, getting married, starting a family, right. were there ever days when you thought, what the heck am I doing? Or, or did it always seem like I'm on the right track? Yeah. So I would say yes, but I was, I was very driven to, to create this business. I, I had wanted to for a long time. So I was willing to, you know, my, my, a lot of my vacation time too, was just taking off to go visit properties. So, you know, I wasn't, you know, you weren't going to the beach. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I wasn't. Um, now there were trips here and there. I'm not trying to paint the picture that I was a, you know, uh, like a monastic for real estate <laughs> investment, but you know, it was, uh, it was definitely a grind, a hustle. And I also didn't have many skills when I started, whether it was real estate skills, um, or just general business knowledge, um, negotiation skills, sales skills, you know, systems, processes. I didn't have any of that. So now it's a lot easier because I've been doing this for 10 years. But I mean, when I say I've made every mistake in the book, it's true. It's just, I, I learned by now I read a lot. I mean, I've read hundreds of books, but you, sometimes you still have to learn by doing, and I've made all the mistakes. <laughs> sometimes the mistakes I still make the them. Best. Just ask my wife. Yeah. 
sometimes the mistakes while difficult difficult are the best teachers though right no that's right that's right yeah well how long did it take before you could kind of see hey this is taking off i i could actually make this a business and then decide to you know say goodbye to your other corporate job and and make this your business what kind of what was the decision process or how did that kind of happen well, it's it started uh, gradually and then suddenly. So um, it was it was something that I had planned from the beginning. Um, okay. it, that was the goal. So I wanted um, I wanted to achieve fifty rental units so that I could leave my job and have enough money to retire and then do real estate full time. Well, that was the goal and the dream, but then it was one property at a time. <laughs> so it was a single family and then a two unit and a single family and a single family. And I needed to recycle capital. And um, so it was a gradual process, but then I'd say around um, 2021 was when I really started realizing that, okay, I have something here. Meanwhile, I had been at it for seven years at that point, wow. 2014 to 2021 up till the end of the year. And I knew that it would be soon. And then, you know, into 2022, I kind of, I continued to double hat and then uh, through 2023, I was still doing, you know, so it's, it's really recent that I'm on my own um, and a full-time investor. So I think I was double hatting for almost nine years. Wow. Um, uh, excluding the first uh, three or so years of my career when, uh, before I went to business school. So yeah, it was just a constant grind. <laughs> what was that like when you walked out uh, the door of your corporate office. Do you remember that feeling? In Gary? Yeah, it, wa it wasn't like that what I had expected. My wife, you know, and I, I you know, got home because I talked with my boss, you know, the last day and, you know, he wished me well and we had a lunch and stuff like that. And I got home and my wife was saying, aren't you happy? And I was kind of <laughs> like, uh, I mean, me I should be, <laughs> but I'm a little like, you know, it's, it's just a little different now. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility, right? Right, right. And and everything had been planned for for a long time. So nothing was different than what we said when we achieved certain milestones, we'd be willing to go out on our own and, and take a, you know, risk and in, in, in quotes. Um, but, uh, you know, because for me, the risk was having that one boss who hated me right out of college. So for me, that was more risky. I see that situation is more risky today. Um, but, um, you know, I so yeah, we took the risk, if you want to call it that. And and, and here we are. So, um, but, uh, it wasn't like a, a celebratory, like, you know, I was a little bit somber and, you know, okay, I guess I got to really make this thing happen now. Right. So sure. it's just one of those major life transitions, right? Well, that's right. Um, that's right. And then my wife was, you know, became pregnant three months, four months later. So it oh was a lot, a lot of uh, change all at once. So, wow. That, and we moved in cool. there too. So a lot of, a lot of change. Well, walk me through kind of the the practical elements of of running this business, even before it became your full time business. I mean, so you're acquiring properties. Sometimes you're having to do a little or a lot of work on them. Sometimes maybe they're a little bit more turnkey, but then you have to rent them out, right? Were you doing right. all of that yourself? So um, there are various people that assist with the entire process. So the way that it works, it's it's a five step process, like really high level. So okay. number one is market for the deal. Um, so we have our whole marketing side of the business. Um, and then number two is once we have found opportunities, then we need to close on the deal and onboard it to management. 
So that's like the second phase, like the transaction management phase. But part of that is we have to finance it. We have to plant, we have to budget for our repairs. We have to hire contractors, project management. So in the, fir- the third uh, phase would be like the management side of things. So that's really the full life cycle of, okay, now that we own this thing, let's fix it and then let's rent it. Um, the fourth phase is really like the sustaining phase. So it's like the onboarding managing phase. So that it's kind of like the, it's the steady state phase. Like there's all this time and energy that goes into finding it, financing it, renovating it. Eventually after six, nine, 12 months, or even right away, sometimes it's sustainable. It's sustained and it's, you, you hold it. And then the last stage is selling it and then determining, well, when do I sell it? And, and usually our average hold is probably five to seven years. Um, depending on okay. the property. Now, if it's, it could be, if it's a key asset for us, it could be longer. You know, I, I think the long, the old, you know, the, one of the first properties that I, I purchased, we've had it for eight years. And then some of the single families we might have for two years for one resident turnover and then we'll sell. So it depends on what the asset's doing, but then, then we sell. So it's those five things. And all along the way I have employees. So I have employees on the marketing arm um, uh, that report to me and the P's on properties company to find the deals. But then on the management side, um, I've hired out three different uh, property management firms. Okay. Um, and then of course I work with many different lenders, many different contractors. Um, there's one insurance broker I work for. So it's, it's a lot of like 1099 situations, except for uh, the deal finding component. That's that I, that I have employees that directly they're W2 employees on payroll for that, but everything else is 1099. So you do have some employees, but you do a lot of work with contractors too, as well as what I'm hearing. That's right. Well, let's talk about, I'm, I'm kind of amazed with the financing part. Earlier, you said that, you know, you kind of started out with less less than nothing. How right. do you get the money to buy properties when, when you know, when your bank account isn't exactly overflowing with uh, funds? <laughs> right, right. Well, it really comes back to your personal credit. And then also what your monthly income and expenses are. So the banks don't care like, okay, how much student loans do you have or what's your credit card debt or other things. As long as you make enough income to make, to make those payments, they don't really care that you have them. And that was one of the mistakes that I made because I rushed, you know, I, I, um, I really disciplined myself for three years to pay off those student loans. And I, overcut and lost out on life experiences because I wanted to pay off those student loans as fast as possible when um, I could have uh, been investing sooner and because I would have qualified for a mortgage anyway, even with that amount of debt. So really the, the way to, to, uh, to get a mortgage, it, it comes back to how much income do I have? What are my expenses? And then how do I maximize my income? So I took on side jobs I reduced my rent expense by living with friends in like a downstairs kind of like pseudo basement apartment for like $300 a month. Wow. Um, so I could put $300 a month on rent and I could put, you know, on my income, my engineering income. And even with the student loan payments that were mostly gone at that point, the banks didn't care. I actually refinanced my car to get the cash because so I had paid off my car. But then when I realized, wait, actually, you know, if I'm only paying $150 a month, but I have $15,000 or whatever it was. Um, and rates were lower then. Um, but the, now I have the money to put down as a down payment and the bank doesn't care. So it, it's personal ca- credit, cash reserves, maximizing your income, reducing your expenses. And um, 
and and that's that's basically it. Are relationships, uh, business relationships, important in in building your business? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first couple of deals I wouldn't have found like if it just going on the MLS to find properties. I needed to have a mentor and someone who kind of took me under their his wing. And before a property would go on the market, he showed it to me and it was one of the ones. Now, granted, I had been showing up for four months. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't like I just got a random call from a real estate agent. I got this right. deal for you. Like I had been every week showing up. I want to do this. Um, you have to do the work. Yeah. Right. I, I did the work. So, and that's the other part of it too, because the the step-by-step, what do I do? I mean, you know, chat GPT could tell you that, right? It's it, it, so it's, it's actually doing it. That's the thing. <laughs> it's not the information. It's the actual, it's taking the action, right? So I showed up and, you know, then I, I built a relationship with folks and I built trust and here's someone who wants to do this. And then when a deal came up, I had positioned my personal finances and my affairs so that I was ready to go. And then I, I built a reputation as a closer. I'll get it done. When I say I'll do something, I'll do it. And they brought more deals because, well, Matt got the first one done. Let's give him another shot. As I was reading your bio and and looking on your website, it seems like a lot of the properties that you buy are off market, meaning I think you mean they're they're not listed currently for sale, right? Is that right? That's right. Is that intentional? And if so, why? Yes, it's intentional uh, because the properties that are already on the MLS, all the value has been added. So in other words, the renovations have been done or the, um, the rents are at market rents um, or the seller, there's no problem to solve to, for the seller. So typically where my company creates value for customers is when there's a really distressed property, whether that's with a tenant situation or it needs a lot of improvements, it needs lots of repairs, the seller can't afford to do those repairs or whatever the situation is, or they choose not to, we come in and we solve that problem. Um, or maybe this it's either a property issue or a person issue. So there could be a, a sell, an issue in the seller's life that we can resolve that th- maybe they can't sell the traditional way. Um, maybe they they don't have the time or maybe they okay. don't have the resources or maybe the residents won't even allow them or maybe they don't want to deal with the residents or or whatever. So we solve people and property problems involving real estate and um, properties on the MLS just don't have those issues. So we don't we tend not to solve those problems because there aren't any. Uh, we're problem solvers here. <laughs> so if there's no problem, we're not there's nothing for us to do. That's a great, great description. And and yeah, really, that's your opportunity to add value, right? And uh, Right. Well, that's right. I mean, we're not looking to invest in properties and then just park funds. And I mean, that is one way, you know, people do turnkey investing, but we're really problem solvers at heart and we love to provide solutions and, and help people out. So that's what we focused on for the last, you know, eight, 10 years. That's awesome. I know you're based kind of in the near Allentown, Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley. Yep. The Lehigh Valley. That's right. Do you envision or have a vision for branching out further? Do you kind of want to stay in that area or what's your thoughts about that? So um, we have branched out further. Um, We, we purchased, so I grew up actually between Allentown and Reading. I'm in a small town. And so I've started buying in Reading as of last year, Um, the Wyoming Valley in the North, um, like Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, um, and we're starting to get down towards the Philly market and a little bit further west, Pottstown. So really, 
Eastern, pretty much all over Eastern Pennsylvania were buying at this point. So you do have plans for growth and you're, you're already acting on them, it sounds like. Oh, that's right. Yep. That that's, that's absolutely correct. And now that I'm focused on the business full time, we've implemented a lot of things to help us grow because you can't just go out and find all these deals. And then if you don't have the back end processes to support them, it's hard to get funding at scale and it's hard to do renovations at scale. And, and so I've been very intentional over the last year about building a system and a process. I mean, we have training documents on everything. How, how do we do anything? Like you can look it up in our, our G suite and, and there it is. So I've been very That's intentional on how to, how to do these things and build training programs for employees, for, for employee empowerment, their own growth, you know, leveling up our employees because you can't do real estate at scale um, without those things. So that's been a huge investment that I've been making uh, in the company. And it, it's, it's cost us deal flow as well, because my focus has been on systems and processes. I'm not, I'm not out there selling and, and buying anymore. So. Um, but you feel like that investment will pay off in, in the long term. It reminds me, I, I'm retired yeah. now, but I work for Caterpillar, the equipment company, and mm -hmm. we had what we called standard work. And it was exactly what you're describing processes and systems that explain mm -hmm. this is how we do this, this is how we do this. Because knowing, you know, having that consistency can increase productivity, save time, and uh, usually be safer and lead to, be lead to better results. So, so it sounds, oh, yeah. uh, it sounds like you've really been putting some emphasis on that part of your business. I have, and uh, it will definitely pay off because we have uh, e each deal, while the property might be unique or the location might be unique, there's always the same actions. You have to do your due diligence on the property to be worth buying, and then we have a checklist for that, and we have trainings for that. We have a, a physical inspection checklist for that, um, and then we have a renovation budget spreadsheet. How much is it going to cost to fix this? Then what can we afford to offer based on the, the renovations? And then how do we get a bank loan for that property? And and it, it every deal I've seen over the years follows the same pattern. So rather than one off every time trying to do the work and explain it or, oh, but not in this case or but not in that case, I just sat down up front and said, what are all the possible combinations of this yeah. thing? I'm going to write them all out because it's all in my head. And I need to get it out of my head onto paper so that it can be reproducible. And, and then other, you know, because I was selfish for a long time, I took all the work for myself. And, and so now it's about education and, and growth and employee development and leadership instead of, in, instead of just doing all the work on my own. So that's the shift. It will pay off over the years, but it's taken, it's been a, a uh, I don't want to say difficult, but just a, um, a formative year and trying to get all this stuff out of my head onto paper. So I'm confident it will pay off. I mean, it has to, I mean, look, look at all the largest companies. I mean, they have a procedure and process for everything. And so I just decided this is what I'm going to do this year. Yeah. Smart, smart business move. Let's back up just a minute and talk about when, when you're looking for properties, you know, what, what are you looking for? Are there certain, um, qualities or characteristics of properties that, that you're drawn to, or does it just depend on the location or what's your strategy kind of for identifying and choosing properties? Yes. Yeah, so I only invest in residential properties 
and I invest in most, but I do not invest in certain markets. So it's a market. Okay. Where is the property? And then is it a residential property? I stay away from mixed use properties and I stay away from other property types. I don't do anything with like mobile or manufactured homes. Um, and I stay away from commercial, especially office and other things, retail. Um, so it has to be strictly single family or multifamily residential properties. And then I look at, okay, well, um, now that I know that the property fits the type of property I'd buy, is it a, is it a, a, a property that will that will yield an investment. So then I'll look at, well, what could the property appraise for when it's done? What's all the work that needs to happen to this property? What's a reasonable margin that I would need to make to take on this problem? Because remember, I mean, some, you know, some of these roofs are falling in, you know, houses are, so, so you have to factor the money, in, okay, the money well, pit, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and so you have to take, you have to protect yourself because you, you can't, take on a loss. But then on the other hand, what other property could I have purchased if I didn't do this one and tie up my resources in this property for so long? So you have to kind of discount further for those things. And I mean, the worst, the worst case scenario, which, which has happened to happen to me, I mean, I lost $12,000 trying to do a flip in 2017. And so it's like, what could have, what could have been with those funds in my time? I don't regret the, I learned a lot, but um, in any event, then, so so back to the question, well, all right, now that you know what the property could be worth, you know how, what the repairs are, what's a reasonable safety margin and also for profit. Um, and then here's my offer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then they can say yes, yes or no. And if it's a no, no problem. You know, we stay in touch. You know, it's just, look, here's where I need to be to be financially comfortable to do this and to have it be worth my time. I, I can't. And I explained to the sellers, I can't you can't just take what you think the property is worth, subtract all the repairs and say, that's the offer. Like what, what incentive is there for me to even do the work? Like, <laughs> if it's so easy to do, you do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, let's, talk, let's, let's talk about the negotiation process. That's a, that's a big part of the business, I guess, as you're looking at properties, any tips or advice or things that you've learned and uh, how to be more effective in that space? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I personally have negotiated at least, you know, 60 or 70 closings we've done. And, and, um, you know, and, but then there's how many more conversations that even, you know, prior to that, that, that you have that don't go anywhere. So, I mean, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people about their properties over the years. And so what have I learned about negotiation? I think the main point that I've learned is that houses don't sell houses, people sell houses. So negotiation is about solving a problem. It's about helping people, I'm not like a high pressure sales tactic guy. Like that's not my style. It's like, look, you know, you want this price and you know, I want that price, but like, let me explain to you where my offer is, you know, and why, and I'm very transparent. And I'd say like, look, no pressure. Like you're the, you're a homeowner, you have options. I'm just, I'm just a potential buyer, but here's, here's what I can do for you. And uh, I found that to be the best way to, to work with people. Just be nice you know, the seven habits, you know, all, all, all those, all those things. And then just be a normal person. Don't be weird. Don't be pushy. Just do the math, have a conversation, tell them what you can do. Don't change your, you know, don't go back on your word, be honest, be sincere and people can work with you or not. But um, I've just found that being a good uh, people person and, and trying to solve someone's problem, identify their motivation and, 
and help them out is the best way to, to do business. Honesty and integrity goes, goes a long way in, in business deals, I believe. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, especially in this business, because, I mean, you know, we, we get a lot of, you know, direct home buyers. There, there's just a lot of like, you know, new time, you know, like wholesaler type people and people that are, you know, not doing things on the up and up. And, and so it's we try to be like that beacon of light <laughs> and hope for the sellers. Like, oh, here's someone who can actually get it done and not jerk me around and, <laughs> and you know, mess things up. So try to be upfront with people. Sounds like a good plan, a good approach. One of the key areas in, in you know, making your business successful is, you know, managing your finances, right? Um, what are some of the most important financial metrics that business owners need to really know about their business and keep an eye on? Absolutely. So specifically for rentals, I can, I can uh, respond and then I can speak in general, but specifically for rentals, I look at two things. Number one, what's my economic occupancy? So I look at all of my units and I say, who has, which, which residents have paid um, and what's my percentage month over month. And I have a spreadsheet and we, we track it each month. And then we have a little, you know, a, a little graph that says, you know, 95, 96, 94, 95, you know, so what percentage of units are economically occupied? I'm not physically occupied, <laughs> economically occupied because the, and the gap between physical occupancy and your, um, your economic occupancy is your delinquency. So okay. um, we try to keep that as, as low as possible. So I'm looking at, okay, what's my economic occupancy? And then I generally try to look at, well, what's my, what's my turnover rate? Like how, how long are residents staying? Because we want to see like, okay, what's, how much are we getting paid? That's the first metric. But the other one is how good is our customer experience? Um, how long are residents staying? And typically on average for us, it's five years actually. Oh, um, so that means we cycle through 20% of the portfolio every year. But um, five years is pretty good for this business. And the most costly expense is vacancy and turnover. So we try to minimize that as much as possible. We could get into like uh, how fast our work orders closed and we could get into how fast are, are we making repairs and, you know, our customer service, you know, results and, you know, surveys and all that. But it really comes down to how long are people staying? Did we let the right people in that met all of our criteria that were the best applicants? you know, following fair housing and all that. And then um, how long do they stay? And, and really it's only those two metrics. What's my economic occupancy and how long are people staying? You um, mentioned customer experience uh, mm -hmm. just a minute ago. That's a, was really important to me and part of my career emphasis as well. I think it's really critical. I, you know, I'm willing to pay a little bit more if I, for a product or a service, if I mm -hmm. have a good relationship and a good experience with the, with the person that's providing it. What does customer experience mean to you in the rental business and what you do? What, what kind of experience are you trying to deliver to the people that end up renting from you? It's three main things. Um, number one is we want to provide a good, a good product right out of the gate. So making sure when the unit is turned over, all of the things that could break or um, that need to be replaced are replaced because that's the first impression for the resident. Um, next is doing repairs as fast as possible. If a tenant submits a work order, they've already been dealing with an issue and they just got around to uh, submit that work order. So resolving that, that fast response and resolving maintenance issues is, is a huge differentiator um, on the service side. So 
baseline quality, even above average product, um, the unit, the apartment itself is, is a qualifier, but then the service is what differentiates us fast, uh, repairs and then good communication with the residents. A lot of times, um, you know, we're, we're providing an essential service to families. And so it is literally their home. <laughs> so when you, there's something going on with their home or even if in their family or a neighbor issue um, or, you know, potentially or refrigerator issue or, or any type of things, this, this is someone's home. So um, communicating with them, getting back to them, providing updates and status updates on when you're going to be going to the property to fix things um, goes a long way to provide a good service. So um, it's those main things. There are other things, but I mean, those are the three main things that really differentiate us and why residents stay versus the revolving door syndrome that can happen for other owners that I see. And is that uh, customer relationships? Is that something you use contractors for? Or do you do your employees handle that yourself or a mix of both? Or how does that work? Yeah, the, the property managers uh, handle the day-to-day -day with the residents, which is why vetting the property manager is so important because you could go online. I mean, there's a property manager everywhere, right? I mean, it's, but are they good? Um, <laughs> What's so their track when, record, right? Well, right, right. Do they have experience? Do they have a track record? And I ask property managers those exact same metrics because if they're not tracking their economic occupancy and they don't know, or they're not, they can't tell me what their annual turnover rate is for how many residents are moving out. They're not tracking the right metrics. Um, now, some arguments can be made. Well, you know, X, Y, and Z are also important for managers. Yeah, I get that. And, and I'm not saying those are the only two metrics, but if they don't know their numbers and they don't, they aren't able to articulate their numbers, they're generally a firefighter and they're not proactive. I'm seeking a proactive measured, calculated company to work with me. I'm not interested in hiring firefighters. I've worked with too many property managers like that. If they're not uh, good at reporting and data and provide clarity, uh, they're just not a good fit for me. Ask me how I know that. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've just made all the mistakes. I... <laughs> but you, but you learn from them, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I only know this stuff because I've done it wrong. So you, you talked about the five different kind of steps or parts of the business. I'm just curious. Um, and I know you have employees now and contractors that work with you, but are there areas of your business that you particularly enjoy and an area that, you know, you could live without or that you're glad that you have people that can handle that for you? Yeah. So I naturally gravitate more towards the people side of the business. Um, it, employee development, building trainings. Um, and, and I'd say like the processes too, because employees want growth opportunities. They also want clarity for their roles. Um, so I, I, I'm trending more towards right now. The, what I really enjoy is, is investing in the team um, so that they can invest in the owners and the residents. Um, things that I'm, I'm tending to shy away from are, are more, and I, I did bookkeeping myself for seven years. <laughs> so it's, but I, I'm now, you know, with a young family, I'm having to make choices on where do I spend my time? Because if I'm, I'm inputting things into QuickBooks, I'm not spending time with my kids, you know? So I, I'm, I'm really working on that empowerment employee development side. And I, I'm trying to say no, um, to some of the back um, like supportive services and hire those, those roles out 
um, so that I can spend time either with my family or engaging with my sales force and, and, you know, f- and finding other, other deals. And I'm, I'm saying that too, as, as someone who's very operationally focused uh, to the point of like doing my own books and like, I'm doing my own reporting and I'm, I'm having to let go a lot, um, which has its own challenges, but it's part of becoming a more, you know, beco- becoming a leader. It's, you have to let go of some of those things and empower others. You can't, you can't do everything or if you do, it's impossible. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's impossible. Absolutely. And I'm trying to get away from emails as well. Like my assistant's doing a really good job with, because it's, it's just overwhelming. I mean, with the deal flow, it all flows through email, emailing title companies, you know, emailing banks and sellers. It's just what deal is what? So we, we rolled con- out constant. a transaction <laughs> coordination module. Yeah. It's like, you know, people say, what's the status on this? It's like, there's no property. It's like, ugh. So we were, we built over the last four months a transaction coordination module within Salesforce to, to stay organized. So, you know, we're working with the develop, I mean, our team isn't doing the development, but we're working with the Salesforce developer. And so we're, we're doing stuff like that just to stay organized. And I'm staying, trying to get out of like the emails and the scheduling and the responses and because it's just too much. Like I, I would never sleep if I had to do everything. Absolutely. It'd be a 24 hour a day job. Yeah. And it, it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be sustainable. I wouldn't bring, I wouldn't be the best person that I can be for my family, for the employees, for those that count on me, for the residents. Um, so I've had to force myself to let go a little more bit on leadership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of time, um, you know, you took time out to do this podcast and I appreciate you doing that, but mm-hmm. why do you do things like this? I mean, I'm assuming part of it's building awareness of your company, but um, are you also trying to just lift this up as a, a good investment opportunity that people might want to consider if they're wanting to improve their financial situation or what's your motivation, I guess? Yeah. I mean, my, my motivation is I, I'm, I'm, I kept, I side hustled in secret for so long. <laughs> and, and so the messaging secret is side hustler. Yeah. That's I'm going to yeah, change the well, title of this to secret side yeah. hustler. And I was, I was quiet about it because I didn't want, I knew that my W-2 job when I was starting was the key to getting bank financing, to refinance the properties and to keep buying more properties. So part of it is pent up, um, (laughs) just pent up wanting to talk about it and and get my message out there that it's possible to side hustle. You can really build something for yourself. I, I mean, I came from less than nothing. And and built this business, and it really is possible. So it, it's a it's a message of inspiration and motivation. Um, it, it's a it, it's a you can do it too message. And and I've wanted to do these things and talk about real estate for so long, but I kept it inside. And so now I'm I'm excited that I can I can share about what works, what doesn't work, and and help others achieve their their goals. And not you know I mean it, people care about the message, but at the end of the day, they care about their own financial well being and their own their own futures. And so if this message can help them, that's, that's what I want to do. That's awesome. I was also interested to read about in your, in your bio. Um, one of the things that really impressed me is that, well, kind of what you were just saying, you're willing to give back and share what you've learned and kind of financial literacy. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that, um, you donate your time to, um, uh, is a real estate lab in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Can you that's right. tell, us a, tell us a little bit about that and what that's all about? Oh yeah, I mean this is a huge um, passion project for me because I see 
um, what real estate has done for, for me and my family. And so the real estate lab, um, it is a 501c3 nonprofit um, uh, founded in 2020. Um, I was one of the initial instructors. I was the um, executive director for a year until earlier this year, actually, when we found out we had twins and I had to step back. But what the, <laughs> yeah, what the, what the good real excuse, estate lab good does. excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just, yeah, it, it was just too much. And, um, uh, but I still volunteer as an instructor. We're doing the next cohort in January, but what, what the real estate lab does is it provides knowledge networks and capital to historically disadvantaged groups in the Allentown area to teach them real estate entrepreneurship. Um, one of our founding uh, members is Yusuf Dahl and, and Yusuf, um, uh, you, you can look him up, but he, um, he got started on the wrong side of things, was in prison for five years um, and got out and started investing in real estate. He had a mentor and uh, eventually grew to over 200 units. He was the president of the Milwaukee uh, uh, Homeowners Association or, or Property Manager Association, something like that. And, and real estate was a huge change for him. So he partnered with um, a local uh, developer, City Center Investment Corp, and um, to provide opportunity to Allentown's residents and to provide uh, real estate education, knowledge networks and capital to really close the wealth gap and resolve some of the, the issues in our society. But using entrepreneurship, it's not a hand out, it's a hand up, giving those that want it an opportunity. Um, so I personally do, I do credit counseling. I've read each cohort, I've raised the average score of 55 points. Um, so that takes That's people, awesome. to, they wouldn't qualify, now they qualify. Um, the, the alumni have purchased well over a million dollars worth of property. It's probably 2 million now. And uh, they didn't have anything when they started. Um, so it's a huge passion project for me because that's how I started. That's how Yusuf started. Um, his story is different, but you know, we real estate changed things for us. We believe in entrepreneurship. Uh, we believe in in real estate entrepreneurship and the difference it can make. And we want others to uh, to benefit and to to resolve some of these social and issues, but using real estate as the vehicle. That's great. That's a great way to give back to your community and share, share what you've learned. How would you say real estate investment has changed your life? Uh, real estate has, well, it, it really, the obvious answer is, well, it's given us more means, but um, you know, because uh, we've attained properties and we collect rents and these different things, but the real value and how it's changed my life is who I've become and who have had to grow into being in order to create this business. It's, it's, a, it's a constant improvement every day to be better than the person I was yesterday. So without real estate or without entrepreneurship, I wouldn't be um, the person that I am, um, the leader that I am for our team. And that's not to say that I have a lot of areas to grow in still. It's yeah. just that I appreciate and value the growth that I've seen in myself over the last 10 years and the value that's been created, you know, at the end of the day, it shows up in bank accounts or in property zone, but the real change has been internal that you can't see, you know, what are the habits? What are, how do I think about wealth investing? How do I solve people's problems creatively? Each deal is different. How can we get this done? So really becoming um, a better person for my family, the community, the neighbor, the neighborhoods. Um, that's the real value besides just the monetary. That's where the real fulfillment comes in and, and giving back to things like the real estate lab and helping others succeed is where the, the like the high level self-fulfillment is outside of just like the monetary stuff. 
makes all those hours you put in worthwhile. That's right. It's very fulfilling. And and to see, um, you know, to provide such an essential service like housing and to um, see people who might not have gotten exposed to real estate take off and succeed, to see my employees grow and gain skills, gain opportunity. It, there's nothing like it. It's the most rewarding thing. Just one more question. I, I started this podcast as a way to hopefully encourage people to feel more at home in their living space, more connected in their communities and more engaged in their relationships. So I always uh, end up with the same question. It's pretty simple. What is it that makes you feel most at home? My, uh, my family. Um, so we have, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned our, our three children and my wife. And so it, it's the people, um, you know, a house, a house is a house. And I said this since the beginning, but it's the people and the relationships and the depths of those relationships that makes me feel at home. Great answer. Great answer. And you've got a great story. Thanks so much again for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chip. I really enjoyed our conversation. If you're interested in learning more about Matt's work and real estate investing, visit his direct home buying website at pezonproperties.com. Pezon is P-E-Z-O-N, pezonproperties.com. I'm including a link in the show notes and on our podcast website, homewhereyoubelong.com. As always, thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review wherever you stream episodes and tell your friends about us. We want to help you continue experiencing that feeling of being at home wherever you are. So please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and visit our website at homewhereyoubelong.com. Want to join in on discussions, ask questions, or share feedback and ideas? Join our Facebook group, visit us on Instagram, or send an email to chip at homewhereyoubelong.com. We'll see you next time. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.